Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the Win Without Competing Show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, career coach one and author of Win Without Competing. Now, here's Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. Welcome to my show. In tough economic times, it is especially important to implement my Right Fit Method, which will enable you to win without competing in your career and in your life. Listen to learn about my Right Fit Method from my guest interviews. A nationwide compounding center for patients and pets, one-stop shopping. My guest today is entrepreneur extraordinaire, Arthur Margolis, third-generation pharmacist, founder and owner of America's Compounding Center, which has carved out a unique niche in the marketplace, serving patients and pets nationwide. I am dedicating today's show to John Margolis, Arthur's father, who recently passed away. Arthur, tell me about your dad and what he taught you as a child. Oh, good evening, Arlene. Um, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, it's really an honor. And it's, a, it's a pleasure to have someone that's such an entrepreneur, Arthur, that really, truly is entrepreneur extraordinaire. Well, thank you. And... Um, well, my father um, was uh, someone who I spent a lot of time with uh, growing up, um, actually right up until recently when he passed away. Uh, and he taught me basically um, what there was to pharmacy, uh, the fact that um, you know, when I was eight years old working in his pharmacy, uh, you know, the nice thing about having a family business is that I had that opportunity. And... Um, yeah, I would spend one night a week with him, and at the end of the night, he'd give me a dollar, which you know, back in the uh, way back when in the '70s was was not so bad in the early '70s. He would give me a dollar, and I'd turn around and I'd say, "Okay, Dad, this is great. Um, I'm gonna get myself ten candy bars for ten cents a piece." Um, and of course, as time went along, he he would pay me a little more, and so he taught me not only the value of the dollar, but um, I got to spend a lot of time seeing him enjoying. Uh, people coming into the pharmacy. Tell us more about that. When you say enjoying people coming into the pharmacy, what do you mean, and how did he show you at an early age the passion that he felt uh, about his work? Oh, he loved it. He he would go in in the morning. Um, you know, he'd, he'd leave the house, and he'd walk to work most of the time. We didn't live too far from the pharmacy, um, and he just loved going in and, and talking to people during the day. He would fill their prescriptions. He would um, learn about their families, uh, ask, you know, how was Aunt Jane, how was uh, Uncle Joe, how was, um, you know, little Tim, or, or uh, how was little Sarah. And he knew everything about the families, uh, you know, where they went to school and um, what was, you know, if they had an ear infection last week. Uh, and he'd ask, you know, how was how was the child doing? Uh, how did you feel when he you heard him probing away and asking all these questions? You know, a lot of people are hesitant to really probe and ask questions to learn about people. What did, how how did that make you feel? Did you see yourself as being able to do that and interested in doing that? Well, interesting enough, um, I was rather, rather quiet um, as, a, as a child, really up until college. Um, I tend to be very quiet, but I had seen from my father that the best way to learn about people was to interact with them. Uh, and not just, you know, how's the weather, um, you know, uh, what do you think of the stock market, but, you know, more the family side of it, you know, 
how is how are people in your family doing? Um, and the fact that he could at any given time uh, meet someone on the street. We we go on vacation up in Maine uh, usually once a year uh, in the summer, which you know, he didn't take a lot of time off from work. Uh, and I you know saw him working hard, and that that eventually became part of what I did as well um, <laughs> up until this day. Uh, but he really showed me both the work ethic uh, as well as how to find out from people, um, again, you know, what it was that made them tick. And by doing that, he was able to then provide them with the services they needed, whether it be delivery in the middle of the night for medications, whether it was um, calling the physician and maybe making a suggestion, which was very unusual back then. Uh, and so that was a part of what he did. So your father, interestingly enough, did what my father did when I was a child. He taught me how to understand with whom I was dealing. When we would walk in the neighborhood, my dad was a canter. I would stand there while he was talking with people. And then after he finished the conversation, he would ask me what had transpired. He didn't really want to know the words that were exchanged. He wanted to know whether I understood the meaning behind the words. We were both very lucky to have such wonderful dads. Yes. Let's go further. How old were you when you decided to become a pharmacist? How did you know it was the right fit for you? What helped you get in touch with your passion? Uh, well, um, initially, I had a science. I love sciences, um, and which made sense because uh, pharmacy, obviously, ultimately is, is mainly science. But I also was very interested in geology and uh, meteorology, both um, environmental-type sciences. And uh, so I explored both the geology and meteorology possibilities. But ultimately, you know, I thought about it and I realized I really felt that having grown up in pharmacy, um, and the fact that I, even though I was quiet, I still loved to observe people. I still loved to find out about what made people tick. And I really wanted to do something that I felt would be helpful directly to the person, um, which, you know, of course, meteorologists are important for climates and, you know, weather, and, and geologists are important to discover uh, oil and whatnot. But ultimately, pharmacy is, is what was inside of me. I, mean, I just literally was born into it. Um, love science, and I also spent the summer um, after my uh, junior year in high school, I spent my summer actually working at Mass College of Pharmacy here in Boston, uh, working with one of the professors and talking to the professors because, you know, being summertime, it was quiet there, um, and I had the opportunity to further discover uh, what pharmacy was all about from uh, other people and started developing more mentors. My father was, was my ultimate mentor, um, followed by my mother, who I can talk about a little bit later. Uh, but I always developed, and, and I learned this from my father as well, um, to develop mentors throughout my life who could further help me along my path. It sounds as if you basically soaked yourself in the pharmacy passion, Arthur, with your dad and your mentors. It's very true. Um, I would spend as much time as possible working uh, in pharmacies, talking to pharmacists. Um, after my father had sold his first pharmacy, and um, I worked for um, CVS Pharmacy uh, for 10 years and um, actually, you know, learned all. It, it gave me an opportunity to learn the, the ins and outs of the business as well uh, from you know, doing something is, I wasn't afraid to do anything. I would do the trash. I would do, you know, the register. I would talk to people. I'd show them where products were. Um, I talked to the pharmacist every chance I had because uh, I didn't, I, they wouldn't allow me to work in the same store as my father, so I had to work in a different store. So I learned, uh, talked to other pharmacists as well and saw their excitement about having been in pharmacy for many years. Let's step back a bit and let's, talk about your third year in pharmacy school. Um, I understand from our conversation prior to the show that suddenly something happened 
where you had a moment in which you started questioning your passion. Can you take us back and share that feeling and experience? Yes. Well, um, as most people who know me, I'm an extreme optimist. I mean, I, you know, it could be snowing out and I have a good reason for it. It could be whatever the reason is. Anything that someone else might consider bad, I always find the silver lining. Um, but I will say, in the third year of pharmacy school, um, now, granted, I was going to school full-time. Um, I was also working full-time, uh, 40 hours a week. So I was doing, uh, I basically would leave the house at 7, actually 6.30 in the morning, go into Boston. I lived in Newton. It wasn't too far, but about half an hour drive into Boston. From there, I'd drive out to Wellesley, which was, again, about a little over a half-hour drive um, after my classes were over, and I'd work till nine ten o'clock at night. So, I, again, the work ethic was there. But I was working with a pharmacist who was extremely negative about the industry, uh, the profession. And all he ever did was talk how horrible it was, and you don't want to work as a pharmacist, and it's long hours, and nobody appreciates you, and all the completely opposite of what I'd heard all my life. <clears throat> so I proceeded to go home one night, and I just I sat down, and I talked to my parents, and my father especially, and I said, you know, I really think... As much as I'd love to be a pharmacist, it just seems like it's it's just not the right fit for me um, any longer. Uh, although I, w- I would definitely say it had been the right fit all my life growing up, but for this person just had such a negative impact on me that I thought, gee, I'm going to apply. And both my brothers were uh, in school uh, for engineering and, you know, again, science and math and, and so forth, which we were all good at. So I thought, Okay, I'll get the application. I'll apply to UMass Amherst, go to engineering school, become an engineer, and I can, you know, do something else. Uh, but after talking to my father and thinking about it and realizing that I really had geared myself towards pharmacy all my life, I really want to be a pharmacist. And I was an optimist, and why am I letting this person who was so negative try and change the way I felt and really change what I had created was a blueprint for my life? Uh, for my profession. So in essence, that one person almost destroyed your passion via his negativity. Right, right. And And your father helped to resurrect it. When you were growing up, did your dad talk about your grandfather, who was also a pharmacist? Yes, he did. And um, actually, my grandfather, I mean... (laughs) Similar to my father was uh, again a, a very optimistic person, friendly, knew people in the neighborhood, um, loved to work, um, and he actually, uh, my grandfather, uh, is really and, and unfortunately he passed away before I was even born, but the stories I'd heard about the pharmacy um, and what he did eventually kind of soaked into my my thoughts, and as time went on. Uh, and some exposure off and on to compounding, which is what I'm, I'm doing now, uh, really, that's what my grandfather did. I mean, he, that's back then, back in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, tell us tell us about your grandfather and what he did, and then shortly we'll be talking about what happened in 2003, but give us um, some information and set the stage for us, Arthur. Okay, well... Effectively, uh, my grandfather was was a pharmacist, um, and back then what they did was the the physician would write a prescription, but it wasn't a prescription. It was really a recipe. and It was a blueprint. Exactly. It was the blueprint. It it showed the right medication combinations for the right patient. And, And that's a key because to give a patient medication that doesn't fit their need Obviously, they're not going to get better. And so my grandfather would receive this prescription, this blueprint from the physician. He would then go ahead into, back then it was, you know, the back of the pharmacy. He would take the appropriate ingredients, combine them, whether it was into a liquid or a cream or uh, or powder paper back then. Now we do capsules. And go ahead, create it, and then explain to the patient a little bit about how to utilize it. And then they'd go home and take it. Did he own his own pharmacy? Yes. Um, He did. Entrepreneurship has been in my family since probably time began. Um, 
not only my grandfather, but my great-grandfather, um, when he came to this country up in Portland, Maine, uh, before the, um, the stock market crashed and, and the Depression back then, um, had had a very, very successful um, clothing uh, manufacturing business up in Portland, Maine. Uh, extremely successful. However, he was a casualty of, um, of the uh, Depression uh, in the stock market. Uh, back in nineteen back in the nineteen twenties. Uh, however, that said, there was still this entrepreneurial spirit, this passion to own our own business. Um, and so he he passed it on to his son, my my grand my grandfather. Um, and my grandfather passed it on to his son, my father, who passed it on to myself. And um, actually which uh, I've passed on to my children, um one of which is uh, graduating from college and getting married this June. Um, but he's not an entrepreneur yet, although he um, has a spirit uh, and has um, looked at ways of, he's a computer programmer, uh, ways of utilizing his computer programming skills to eventually create some sort of business. And my daughter, who's in communications, um, also has a passion, um, actually, to be an entrepreneur at some point. Um, had almost gone to pharmacy, but is in um, a different field. She's in the communications field. Will be graduating this year from Syracuse University. Um, and but someday she absolutely, you know, she'll start off working for someone, find the right fit, which is what she's working on right now. And uh, actually, I'm going to give her your book because I feel it's going to be it's a phenomenal book, and will help her find her right fit and create her blueprint. And to um, eventually, she absolutely wants to own her own business. Let's go further, Arthur. Okay. Take us back to 1983. Ah. After you were graduated from the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy, what did you do next? I know our listeners can't wait to hear about your business, but I want to set the stage to show that you don't just start a business. You need experience to help you set the stage for yourself. And I think that with your dad's help, you did an outstanding job to do that, so I want to share the steps. Okay. Well, effectively, I'd worked for CVS um, throughout my high school and uh, college career, uh, as my father did, actually. Um, and we both learned a lot. Um, first of all, I was always learning from my father because we constantly talked. Um, and at, actually, during that period of time, he had got me involved in reading books um, by uh, various business people and really people such as yourself who were very optimistic and positive about um, you know, looking at life, the life of business. Uh, but So um, I worked for CVS straight out of school. Uh, for about a year and a half. And what happened was CVS had realized um, that I had this phenomenal ability, which, of course, I've learned from my father. And at this point, I, I was no longer a quiet person. Um, to well, I, I'm, ga- I'm gathering that you evolved. You blossomed, Arthur, over the years. Correct. And, uh, and, and by doing that... Did, was, your mo- did your mom help you blossom, your mother, Esther? I, oh, she was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, she... she well, well mother, keep... Uh, just do me one favor. Yeah. Save what she did with respect to marketing until we talk about your outstanding pharmacy that you currently own. But tell us how she helped you blossom. Yep. Well, the fact she she taught me that you can achieve anything. Um, and to... And to um, speak up. <laughs> um, you know, she felt that if I, you know, if you don't speak up for yourself, uh, people will walk all over you. You know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And uh, she repeated that to me all the time. Because, again, I was not one to speak up. I would, you know, if um, I was told to do something, I'd just do it, whether or not I felt it was right or wrong, um, appropriate. And so... What ended up happening was um, I graduated from pharmacy school, Mass College of Pharmacy here in Boston, third generation. Uh, both my grandfather and father went there. Uh, and went ahead, went to work for CVS. They put me in a store, and before they realized my potential, actually, 
Um, they knew the potential I had, but they put me in a store where it wasn't the right fit. It was a store that was uh, in downtown Boston, so it was geared towards the business uh, clientele. And they were more or less interested in coming in, getting the prescription, and going home, uh, or dropping off in the morning and going home later at night. They so they wouldn't, they wouldn't let you or weren't interested in having you get acquainted with these people, the patients. Am I correct, Arthur? Yes. And, and the couple of people that did um, basically made it that the people that didn't would call corporate headquarters and complain saying, oh, we've got a pharmacist, this pharmacist who just, you know, he's too busy talking. He doesn't want to, to, to get our prescriptions for us. Uh, so that led to a phone call and a meeting with actually my supervisor at the time, who was actually a wonderful person. Um, and, and believe me, I, I nothing bad to say about CVS. They're a phenomenal company. Um, and what they did is they basically said, look, you know, we're getting these complaints. Uh, we also know we're also getting some good good feedback, but... We're getting a lot of complaints. So either you have to change or we're going to have to do something. Well, they left me there for a little bit longer, and then they moved me. They decided the best thing to do was to have me go into new stores or stores that were having issues, uh, basically declining business due to pharmacists who were not the right fit for those stores, and go in and bring back the business. And as a result of that, my experience of building the business for CVS and various stores, and the opportunity that my father came across finding a pharmacy a couple of towns over from where we live in Dedham, um, Oakdale Pharmacy, it, um, he approached me one night and he said, gee, you know, Arthur, um, what do you think? Would, would you be interested in you and I going off on our own and um, taking this pharmacy over and working together, building it, uh, as you've been doing for CVS. And my response was a resounding, absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, I was certainly nervous about it because I knew I had a, a good career. Um, I could climb up the ladder at, at CVS if I wanted to. Actually, I was, and they were about to offer me a supervisory position. Um, and when I told my poor supervisor um, that I was leaving, uh, he, first of all, turned wise as a ghost. <laughs> That's good, Arthur. We know how you, what an impression you made on them, even though initially they were dissatisfied with you because you were talking with the patients. Exactly. And, and, and really it was because I was in the wrong fit. I was in the wrong store. Um, I needed to be in a place where I could do what I knew best, which was to be part of the community and to let people feel as if they weren't just a number, uh, that they were real. And people like that. Uh, the, you know, the public wants to be, most of the public would like to be treated as if they were human. And again, that's something I learned from my father. So now, you and your dad then purchased the pharmacy, mm -hmm. and it was a tr traditional pharmacy, not a compounding pharmacy. Correct. You were dissatisfied with what you could offer the patients. Tell us about that. I mean, I know that you talked with the patients because, after all, that was your dad's model, and you were an outstanding student of that model. But tell us what your thoughts were and how the concept of opening your own compounding center evolved. Over time, again, building this pharmacy that was relatively slow to being busier than any of the CVSs in the area, um, over 16 years, we, uh, my father and I worked together, worked very hard. I worked upwards of 80 hours a week, um, not even thinking twice about it, almost every day of the year, um, including Christmas and New Year's and whatever holiday I had to work, I worked it. Um, took very little vacation time, uh, but I... And I and by the way, in your book, it talks about you know breaking down, um, you know percentage-wise, uh, the importance of of your profession versus your family. And um, so, you know, I'd say profession was probably you know seventy percent. Um, family was probably thirty percent. But I was brought up that way as well. But even at that, um, what was really important 
was the fact that I knew my family was well taken care of. I had a phenomenal wife, I still do, uh, who was an incredible mother to to the children, and also understood um, that our business was very important. And so as time went along, uh, as I built up the business, we got busier and busier and busier. I had less time to spend with the patients. But in the meantime, um, I did uh, come across compounding again. Uh, and it was always part of what I did as, as a pharmacist. I mean, every pharmacist does some sort of compounding. Uh, but it's usually minimal. It's, it's not very high tech. Uh, it's usually just mixing a couple creams together. Uh, but still, it's important to be able to do it properly. But I decided that, you know, this kind of interested me. I, I was a kid who used to play with a chemistry set all the time. Luckily, I never blew up anything, but, you know, I, I certainly had a lot of fun making different colors and different smells and all sorts of other great things you could do with a chemistry set as a kid. But it always sort of stuck with me, and, and I really found that, gee, you know, this compound seemed interesting, and maybe there's more to it. And talking to a pharmacy that was in the next town over, um, and it happened, it was a pharmacy called Birds Hill Pharmacy in Needham, um, and the owner... Actually, my father had worked for him a little bit uh, when when he was also working for CVS, uh, and it turns out he also his his wife happens to be a cousin of my mother's. Um, so there was some you know some congeniality there, and and he wanted to help us out as well. Uh, and so he started talking to me about compounding, and but not just the simple compounding, but more advanced compounding, and how it was a way to go back in time when you could help a patient based on their individual needs and spend time talking to the patients and learning about them so that you can make the medication be the right fit medication for them. Going further, finally, in 2003, you opened America's Compounding Center, and in 2005 you received from the Massachusetts Pharmacists Association the Innovative Pharmacy Practice Award. Tell us, Arthur, how did your wife, Claire, help you in developing the business, and what did your mother, Esther, tell you you must do. Uh, well, okay. So we went ahead and we shut down our first pharmacy in 2001. And um, in 2003, so with the idea that I was going to open up a compounding-only pharmacy. And 2003 came along. Uh, it was just myself and my wife. And we're, we're like sort of uh, yin and yang. Um, you know, can't have one without the other. Um, I'm the absent-minded professor, entrepreneur, um, focused on you know developing the business and and the thinking about the, the compounding part of it. And Claire is the person who's organized. Um, she's incredibly organized. Uh, also has a, a background in working in the medical field. Um, and uh, she had actually worked at Beth Israel Hospital and organized the IVF. Um, in vitro fertilization tested babies uh, clinic that was there and was actually um, involved with the first test tube baby that was born in Massachusetts. Um, and so her expertise in running an office um, came in, again, very handy because while I was focused on the compounding aspect of it, uh, she was focused on the organization dealing with um, the checkbook and the calendar and scheduling and so forth. So very integral part. And still, to this day, uh, you know, we constantly are together working with the business. And a lot of people say, you know, how in the world do you work with your wife um, all day long and then do things after work and go on vacation? And literally we're together, you know, probably 90% of the year. Um, and, and, again, getting back to, I know in one of your, um, your, your blog talk radio shows, um, you were talking to um, the beauty queen uh, about her and her husband. Right. And, uh, so important, uh, again, is, is the fact that, um, you know, Claire and I actually, and it's a, a, a quick story, is that um, we met through a blind date. 
and uh, obviously we're the right fit. Uh, we've, we've been together uh, over 25 years, and um, it was definitely the right fit, not just for personal reasons, but in the long run for business reasons. Uh, How did you know she was the right fit, Arthur? Can you share the blueprint of your right, right fit wife? Well, um, of course, perhaps we don't want her to hear everything, so oh. we'll consider it something we're discussing privately. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, truthfully, um, she's a lot like my mother, um, and and you know they say a lot of men will marry their mothers um, to some extent, and uh, she also has a, a passion for life. Um, she also um, loves a challenge. And and uh, so and the fact that um, when we were dating and um, she we were at the movie theater and um, we were watching a movie and and uh, this is kind of a little quick funny story but um, we're sitting there watching a movie and we bought this big big thing of popcorn this big thing of soda and we're sitting there and I sat down and she went to hand me the soda and it slipped out of my hands and next thing I know um, I was wearing a big container of soda. And ice um, all over me. <laughs> and back then we were wearing corduroy, so believe me, it soaked it right up. Right. Um, and she thought I'd get right up and we'd head right out. I said, nope, nope, we're staying and we're going to watch this movie and we're going to enjoy it. And um, so I, I knew after that that, boy, if she could put up with that um, kind of uh, thought process and, and later on, again, you know, um, the fact that I was very interested in, in um she knew I was interested in, in business and stock market and things of that sort. Um, and, and not only that, but she was also the theater, uh, very interested in the theater. And, and I developed an interest in the theater as well with her. Uh, so we, we sort of, you know, one of the most important things with, I think, a successful um, right-fit marriage is the ability to give and take. And I saw that with my parents and also with her parents as well. Uh, and so we both learned about give and take, and we use that within our marriage as well. Let's talk about your mother, and what advice did she give you when you opened your compounding pharmacy? Well, one thing I had never done, although I'd seen my mother do it for years, was marketing. And the only way to build this business was by marketing, getting out there, making cold calls, um, something that I was pretty scared of. Uh, you know, most people, cold calls, they just don't want to do it. They hate cold calls. Absolutely. In fact, uh, recently I was on a radio show and I mentioned about I love cold calling. Well, my phone ran off the hook because people couldn't believe I actually said that. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the cold calling. What did she tell you to do? And how did you train yourself to do it so that you were comfortable? Ah, well, first of all, um, one of the things she did, and she always had up in her office, and I eventually put up here as well, um, were, were these cartoons showing, you know, one was the, the stork, which I don't know if you've seen this one, the stork with the um, frog, and the, the stork's about to um, swallow the frog. But the frog has its little front feet around the neck of the stork, showing that it's not just going to give up. It's not going to just be eaten. Um, and then probably the, the, the one in terms of actual office um, or cold calling was one of a picture of a salesman who had just been kicked out of an office and instead of just giving up, uh, went around to the side window and I think the, the person in the office says, who's that over there? And they said, well, that's the person that just left. Um, and, you know, and they weren't giving up. I mean, it was the idea. They they weren't going to leave until they got somebody to listen to them. And so um, my mother effectively taught me to not fear cold calls, but to find a way to make them enjoyable, to love making. And actually, I love to go, <laughs> as yourself, you know, I love to go make uh, cold calls because I know ultimately uh, that typically one out of ten, one out of twelve, depending on who you listen to, cold calls, you're going to get somebody interested in what you're having to say. Arthur, I'm delighted that you love cold calls. 
our listeners may be trembling, but we know that it's necessary, especially in today's marketplace where we have millions of unemployed. They must differentiate themselves from others. And one way of doing that is picking up the phone and calling the employer to figure out whether there's an opportunity that could be the right fit for them. Now, I'd love to hear more, and I'm sure our listeners would as well, about how you tailor or customize medications so that each patient patient will receive exactly what he or she needs. In essence, you formulate a blueprint of the right fit medicine and create it. Can you give us some examples of what you do so that we can visualize who the patients are and what you've done for them? Okay. Well, um, first just a quick description of what our pharmacy looks like and and the fact um, I'd mentioned to you uh, that we had started off in a 600-square-foot building, or, well, 600-square-foot office space that included both the office and the laboratory. Um, and that was for about uh, four years, and then we outgrew the spot, um, and I spoke to the landlord, and I said, yeah, I need more space. So he said, well, I've got a building a couple of miles down the road. It's been empty for a couple of years. Uh, I'll bring you over, take a look. Showed it to me. I said, perfect. Um, I said, this is exactly what I've envisioned as being the ultimate and right fit um, spot for our compounding pharmacy and it's 5,000 square feet. So we went from 600 square feet to 5,000 square feet in about four years. Um, and it's split into two levels. Um, there's two stories, and the, the bottom floor is where we have the patients come walking in. It looks like a, looks more like a doctor's office than it does a pharmacy. Um, we don't sell. We don't have cards. We don't have anything you'd find in a traditional pharmacy. Um, so they walk in. There's a window where they go up with their prescription, and they hand them the prescription uh, where we get all their information. And we're actually one of the few pharmacies that will ask not just their name, address, phone number, but we need a little bit of history about them. Uh, we need to know that not only what medications they're allergic to, but their food allergies or any other allergies, latex, whatever it might be. We need the complete blueprint of each patient. We need to know what they're all about so that we can make sure we come up with the correct um, combination for them. Because it's not only taking that blueprint from the doctor, the recipe or the prescription, but we then have to tailor it to meet that patient's need. And so the next step is it goes in to be filled with a computer, as, as one would expect, although it's a lot more involved because we now have to not just type in the name of medication, but we have multiple ingredients for each prescription, both active and inactive. And one of the keys is, as we're well known throughout the country now, for being a pharmacy that specializes in hypoallergenic medication, um, also pediatric medication. So we will based on their allergies, um, look at what we need to use for a liquid base or filling in a capsule and make sure we avoid any potential allergens. Um, and a lot of patients are coming to us also because they're, if they went to the regular pharmacy, they picked up the medication there, commercially prepared, and um, you know, they may have an allergy, well, let's say um, milk allergy. And so they go to the pharmacy, they get the medication, and um, you know, something simple. One thing people know about is usually Imodium over the counter for a bad stomach. So they go ahead, they buy this product, they go home, they go to take it because they've you know got a little bit of uh, bad stomach going on, and they get worse. And they can't understand why they're taking this medicine it's supposed to help them get better. They actually get their stomach becomes worse. Um, well, the reason being is Imodium has in it lactose, and if they're either lactose intolerant or sensitive to milk, it's only going to make their stomach worse. So they can actually get a prescription from the physician, bring it to us, knowing that we can create a capsule that has pure medication in it, and we might use a filler, if need be, that is not lactose. Therefore, they avoid having um, further problems and actually get better. And as a result, we can increase the patient compliance. And, and I'll, a couple other stories I have... Um, and so, but the prescription then goes. So when it's be ready to be made, it goes into our laboratory, which is 
Um, about, oh, it's about 1,500 square feet. Um, so it's almost three times the size of our original whole section that we had in the other building. And then how large is your staff, Arthur? Could you kind of describe so we can visualize that? And also, too, um, wanted to see how you reduce the risk of someone not including all the information that you need to create the right fit blueprint for the compounded medicine. So in other words... Is it possible that someone might forget, for example, um, that they're allergic to something? Oh. Like I'm allergic to oral penicillin. Right. Um, so what happens if somebody forgets to tell you something? Ah, well, one of the things we do is we, we will sit down with the patient when they come in. And so not only do they go to the window to turn in the prescription with their information, but uh, we review it. And we also sit down with the patients um, and unlike what most people are used to seeing in sort of the standard traditional pharmacy where, you know, you go in, they're busy, they have trouble. Even though they want to talk to you, they don't always have time to talk to you. Um, we take out, we'll spend anywhere from five minutes to an hour with each patient. So whatever it takes to get that right blueprint for that particular patient. Now, if it turns out, now, not talking, you know, penicillin and anaphylactic shock, um, you know, that's something we'll always pick up on before it gets to that point. But sometimes um, someone will forget to tell us something minor, um, even though we've talked to them for a long period of time. And what will happen is they'll take that prescription home, they'll try it, and they'll call and say, gee, I broke out in a rash. So we'll probe further. And then we'll, re, uh, we'll rethink the process that we've gone through, um, also informing the physician as well, because they, they're a very important part of the whole process, and come up with a new blueprint for that patient to say, okay, wait a minute, you know, we need to avoid this ingredient. And I do this a lot um, for chronic pain management for patients where, um, you know, they've been taking heavy-duty medications, Percocets and things of that sort, pain medications, and they don't want to do that because they can't function any longer. So as a result, we create transdermal creams, creams where they apply it to the skin, to the elbow, where it might hurt or the knee where it might hurt. Uh, Motrin, for example, most people know they take that orally, and that can really upset their stomach. So um, to avoid that, we put it into a cream form, and usually it's more than one ingredient, uh, and they apply it directly to the area where it hurts. Now, again, if they have a reaction of some sort, we'll reevaluate, determine what has caused that, and come up with a new blueprint. Well, I'm delighted that you have uh, a mechanism to basically evaluate the initial blueprint and then to subsequently change it as necessary, because that's basically what you're saying. Am I correct? Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, I think, wonderful. Um, Okay, let's go a bit further. I know that St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, founded by Danny Thomas, had to create their own drugs because commercial pharmaceutical manufacturers could not supply them with what they needed for their pediatric patients. What can your compounding pharmacy do for children? Yes, well, that's actually the original reason why I did open this up um, was because of the pediatric population. And um, I had realized I actually created a, a niche within a niche. Um, compounding is, is a niche within pharmacy. And I discovered that there really weren't a whole lot of compounders out in this country. Uh, out of the 3,000 compounders in the country, very few um, addressed the issue of pediatric compounding, uh, and no one in this area. Uh, so I decided that I would specialize in that area. Um, and one of the things is that the majority of medications on the market are geared towards adults. They're in tablet form. They're in very high dosages, uh, very strong. Um, if they do make a liquid, they actually tend to make liquids that don't taste good, which seems rather strange uh, when you think you're compounding it for, you know, if they're making a manufactured product for a, a child, you'd think they'd want to make it taste relatively reasonable. Um, and they use alcohol in a lot of their products. Uh, I mean alcohol for children? Yeah, yeah, in the in the actual liquids. Um, there will be 
a fair amount of alcohol. Can't that harm the children? Not so much harm, but, you know, first of all, kids don't like the taste of it generally, especially little ones. Um, But, you know, parents don't want to give their kids alcohol. Uh, You know, potentially if they had to be on something long-term, it could certainly affect their liver. Uh, So as a result, we have been able to uh, compound uh, both uh, liquid form, well, many, many different forms of liquid, medication, alcohol-free, uh, we can do it sugar-free. We can do it uh, gluten-free. A lot of people have gluten allergies nowadays, uh, which a lot of your medications have gluten in them. Um, and we can make them taste good. Boy, can we do a we, – we can make it bubblegum flavor. Uh, we can make it grape flavor, apple flavor. I have hundreds of flavors I can use. Um, and, and leading into one of my stories would be uh, a young man who was taking a medication, um, it was a, only in tablet form. He couldn't swallow it. It, it. it was too big a tablet for him to swallow. How old was he, Arthur? And he um, is around eight years of age. Okay. That's and when you started seeing him as your patient? Yes. And um, so he and, and the mother had um, been referred to us uh, by a particular physician, pediatrician, who, had, who was familiar with us and what we did. And so they actually drove up about an hour's distance from where we are to actually come in, because not everybody comes directly to us. Some some of it's done um, over the phone, through the mail. Um, and so, um, we, but we do have families who will drive an hour, sometimes two hours, uh, to come to us, at least the first time around, to come up with the, the blueprint uh, for their child to get the medicine. And with this particular child, uh, and the particular medication he needed, our experience had been that one of the things that worked really well with this medication uh, was Hershey syrup. And it's one of the few food-type items we actually use within our practice uh, for children. Uh, typically, we make most of our own uh, liquid bases. But this particular Hershey, Hershey syrup works phenomenal for this particular medication. And so when we talked to the mother and the child to discover, again, what flavors the child would like, well, we suggested this Hershey syrup. Um, one of the one of the things this child particularly liked was chocolate. Um, so we said, okay, no problem, we can do that. And it also happens that where the lab door is, the, the door leading into the laboratory, the pharmacy um, is. That I put a big pane of uh, a pane of glass in so that people can look in and see what we're doing, uh, because they tend to be fascinated watching. You know, we're scientists. Uh, Sometimes I look like a mad scientist, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's terrific. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so he was watching with his mother, and, and, and the funny thing is, is, you know, he's getting all excited. I mean, you can see him watering at the mouth, and he couldn't wait to take his medicine. Um, the mother, on the other hand, the jaw dropped, because she thought we were just kind of kidding. She didn't really take us seriously that we're going to use real Hershey syrup. She ah. just thought we were going to use a flavoring, and she saw the amount of Hershey syrup, and it's a fair amount, being used. Now, he's not diabetic, so we don't have to worry about that. We checked into that, uh, you know, made sure there was no contraindications for him to, to have Hershey syrup. And it was just, to see the two different expressions was, was just phenomenal. Um, and, of course, we brought the medicine out. He said to his mother, I want to take the medicine. And she said, he's never wanted to take medicine in his life. And so just before, and we'll do this a lot of times. We'll have the, the parents or the caretaker give the medication the first dose here, uh, if the timing is right, just to make sure they do like the medication, the taste. And, oh, he loved it. And and the mother called us up um, a couple of days later and thanked us because she couldn't thank us enough. I think it's a wonderful story, Arthur, and I'm sure you have many more to tell us. But I know our listeners are eager to hear about how you decided to add pets as patients. Ah, well. Uh, so uh, my specialty being pediatrics, um, you know, it, there's certainly kids are kids and, and pets are pets, but truthfully when it comes to getting medication into animals, the, the difference is, is pretty minimal. Um, you're basically, the main difference would be flavoring. Uh, you're still looking at, you know, a, a pet is someone or someone, a lot of people consider them uh, human <laughs> to them. You know, it's there are families who are made up of, you know, husband, wife, and animals, pets. Uh, they may not have children. 
Um, and a lot of our pet owners consider um, their pets part of the family, just like my mother, my parents um, have have a poodle, and Lucy is part of the family. She's my sister. Um, I have two brothers, real brothers, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then Lucy. I hope is, you're not calling your brothers your pets, right? Arthur? I know, I know. <laughs> that well, that wouldn't go over too well. No, no, but they're phenomenal brothers. I, I'm very lucky to have two great brothers, Michael and Robert, um, who are, who also have been very supportive. Uh, to what I do, and um, we're also a very close-knit family. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, getting back to the pets, and, and, you know, so they're considered part of the family. and But they can't talk to you. They can't tell you what they like or don't like. Uh, you know, obviously, if, you know, if it's a cat and they like, you know, the cat might like chicken. Um, so the cat likes chicken, and we're going to make medicine for them. We use a flavor called chicken pot pie. And it smells really good. As a matter of fact, I've had some of my students who uh, work here and, and my other staff, my technicians and, and pharmacists, uh, which uh, just to bring up, um, as you talked asked before, I have um, I have three full-time pharmacists besides myself as well as a fourth one coming on uh, in June, and I have three full-time techs as well as anywhere from uh, three to five uh, students from both schools of pharmacy, uh, Mass College of Pharmacy and Northeastern School of Pharmacy, um, and we have a, a specialist on staff who um, specializes in alternative health care, and then I have the front office staff, and my wife, uh, Claire, and actually my aunt, so my favorite aunt, uh, Maxine, who's my mother's sister. Uh, and so we have a, a fairly good-sized staff uh, for, for a business uh, that's been around this long. And so th- we have, uh, for example, we have... Um, uh, um, one uh, patient owner, well, owner um, of an animal who actually, it's a, it's a golden retriever, and she had actually rescued uh, this golden retriever. And, and the reason being this golden retriever had been basically abandoned because golden retrievers are known for having seizures. And this particular one had uh, horrible seizures on a pretty regular basis, and they were hard to control. So... Um, this family took took in this uh, golden retriever, and this golden retriever needed medicine, and it, they finally found the right fit medicine for this golden retriever um, that prevented the seizures, but they needed a compound. It was not available commercially or even from the veterinarian. Um, so they had heard about us. They came to us, and we were lucky enough uh, that every so often this golden retriever um, is brought in to visit us. And, uh, and this golden retriever is absolutely phenomenal. They, not only did they rescue this golden retriever, um, but they bring this golden retriever around to the various nursing homes in the area to um, make people's day you know, much more exciting. And People love animals, and it's actually there's a, a pet therapy that's been shown to be very beneficial to um, uh, many different types of people with different, uh, you know, whether it be Alzheimer's, whether it be Parkinson's, it tends to be very relaxing for, uh, uh, for people. You are passionate about what you do, and we've certainly experienced that passion. How have you made a difference, and why is your compounding center unique? Ah. Well, um, well, the compounding center is unique in such a way that um, not only do we interact with the community, um, on a local basis, but we interact with many communities, even on a national level. Um, our, I have been able to develop uh, based on, again, looking at what's going around on around me. Um, I always like to be very aware of everything that's going on. And again, this is something both my parents had taught me um, to not, you know, wear, walk around with blinders on. Look at your your um, Colleagues, not competition, by the way. Um, I never consider any of my colleagues competition. Good. Well, Arthur, I must say it's clear from what you've told us that you have set a standard against which no one can compete. And I think that what you've done is over the years you kept raising the bar higher and higher for yourself um, so that... What I think you're going to share now is going to show 
how you've able how you've been able to differentiate yourself and how you have set the standard. Yes, and that is by um, by listening, providing people um, what they're looking for, listening to their needs. Um, and some of that, uh, actually a big portion of that, is the fact that we've gone from being on a local level to a national level, providing um, free standard shipping, um, you know, cutting out that extra cost that people, especially in today's economy, can't afford to pay, um, billing all the major insurance companies uh, so that they only have to pay a copay, and we're one of the few compounding pharmacies in the country that does that. Um, by... Uh, and recently, we were actually approached by the Medicaid, uh, state Medicaid in Massachusetts, to um, become a provider for them. They did not have a compounding-only pharmacy in Massachusetts that prov- was a provider for them. Um, so, again, wanting to be able to provide the service not just to a select few, but to the many, um, and allowing everyone out there to be able to benefit from our specialities, whether it be the hypoallergenic medication, um, by, again, keeping their costs, their expenses down, uh, making ourselves available 24-7. Uh, I get, I've, I've not too long ago had a phone call at 4.30 in the morning. Um, I keep my cell phone next to me at home. All the phone calls get forwarded to my cell phone, uh, so anyone can reach me anytime. And it was actually a phone call coming from Children's Hospital here in Boston. They had one of my patients who had a corn allergy, um, needed a medication. Actually, they were dehydrated, um, needed some IV IV, uh, fluids to prevent them from becoming further uh, dehydrated. And it turned out that within the IV bag was corn. Um, So they called me, actually the mother insisted they call me, uh, to find out what they could do to create some sort of liquid form that they could get into this child. Now, I, I would have gone down there. It's not, you know, probably a half hour drive from my house, if if they had asked uh, me to come in. But they just asked me over the phone what my suggestions were, and um, I found out uh, the next day that um, uh, they were able to help them out um, based on my recommendations, and um, he was able to go home. Uh, and uh, again, it's being available. Uh, it's the fact that people. Uh, I had a gentleman here yesterday who said, you know, you could have sold me the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, You know, he trusts me. It's it's a matter of developing trust, um, having the knowledge, the the fact that they know I think outside the box, um, and that I'll provide as much service as it takes to get that patient taken care of. Arthur, listening to you is definitely, I believe, inspiring inspiring for people to develop themselves in a way that perhaps they haven't even investigated. Let's talk about your advice for people who are entrepreneurs and perhaps struggling in today's economy and those who are thinking about becoming entrepreneurs, because clearly it's not easy to do the kinds of things you've described. How can you guide our listeners? Okay. Well, um, just to let people know, we are still growing, even with the economy being the way it is, we're growing at about 10% per month, uh, month to month. So, uh, you know... People so the economy has not affected your business negatively if you keep growing 10% per month. Correct. And and that's because, again, I'm an optimist. Um, and I think one of the keys to being a successful entrepreneur is being an optimist. Um, I watch very little of the news. Um, I don't read the papers a whole lot. Um, I basically I tend to... Um, keep myself in a positive mood. And this is, again, something I learned from my parents. Um, Not to ignore what's going on in the world, because that's important to understand and know, too. But But not let it influence your behavior in a negative way. Exactly. Yes. And most definitely to not only create the right fit and the blueprints that you need to be successful, but 
to be willing to change with time and to realize that um, the right fit may not change, um, although over time you may think you have the right fit and then it turns out that um, that may not have necessarily been the right fit, um, as I found out over time. But now I certainly have found my right fit. I love what I'm doing. Um, but also the blueprint, that a blueprint was meant to be changed, um, that it, it, it morphs over time, that you have to be willing to change, especially as your business grows, because as a business grows, um, and this is something I've read many times in, in, in books on uh, being an entrepreneur and running a business, and that is at some point businesses grow and you can start to lose contact and I've seen this happen with other businesses where the entrepreneur who wants to be an entrepreneur becomes a business person who sort of loses touch with their business. And sometimes that can result in the business going in the wrong direction. So one of the keys to, to continuing to grow this business is that I keep myself involved in every part of it. And especially I actually do the marketing myself um, as well as Irina, who, who's the person I mentioned earlier, in um, the alternative healthcare portion of our business. And I could hire a marketer to go out there, um, and I've seen that done with other businesses, especially other compounders, but they don't have the same passion that I have. And, and as, a, as an infectious as it was from my father or my grandfather to my father to myself, um, I bring that same infectious attitude to the practitioners that I go and visit, um, as well as I don't just visit doctors, but I also go out there and I visit um, CVS and Walgreens, other pharmacists. And um, I also work with both schools of pharmacy. So I'm constantly, as part of growing my business, I'm out there um, presenting this optimism, this excitement, this, some, this niche. Um, and again, I think that's also important as an entrepreneur that you're able to come up with something, the better mousetrap. Uh, as they say. Well, Arthur, it has been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate your joining me today. Clearly, you're an expert in creating blueprints of the right fit medica medications. I hope we will have another conversation soon. And I know that... America's Compounding Center is the largest in New England for a compounding pharmacy. Am I correct, Arthur? That is correct and, and growing. Okay. And I want to wish you much success in its continued growth. And I really hope that we will have an opportunity to explore and to learn more from you shortly. Thank you, Arlene, and I've loved talking to you. Um, you know, you're a wonderful person. I think what you're doing is absolutely phenomenal um, for the public, especially with what's going on with this economy. And um, I'm getting a book for each of my children. Um, I will probably keep at least one or maybe two books on hand in my office, uh, which I will allow my students to borrow um, or suggest they go out and buy it, uh, because even in pharmacy. Uh, even though people, you know, there's a shortage of pharmacists in most of the country, there's actually not a shortage here. And um, it's also important, I believe, that the future generations can take advantage of someone like yourself who is positive and will show them the way to further themselves in this world. Well, thank you so much, Arthur. I really have enjoyed not just the conversation, but your spirit, your passion, and your commitment. Well, thank you, Arlene. Please join me again next Wednesday, March 4th, at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The Matchmaking Chef. My guest will be Chef Rachel Albert Matisse, who developed 130 recipes for best-selling author, Barry Sears of the Zone fame. Chef Rachel, author of the Ice Dream Cookbook and the Healthy Cooking Blog, will share 
her career journey, and passion for matching her mouth-watering recipes for your health needs. Barrow Global Search, Inc., of which I am the founder and CEO, is sponsoring two unique career contests. Here's quick blurbs of each contest. Searching for the right fit guest, not the best. Unemployed for six months or more? I'm searching for one right fit guest to coach on this radio show, Win Without Competing. Did you read Win Without Competing? Use the right fit method and hear you're hired? Searching for the right fit guest. The winner of this contest will share on this show how using the right fit method was the tipping point to hear you're hired. To read the blueprints of the right fit guests for both contests, visit the home page of www.drbarrow, B-A-R-R-O, that's drbarrow.com, or my blog on Blog Talk Radio. Barrow Global Search is offering Win Without Competing at the special price of $9.95 plus shipping and handling. Visit www.winwithoutcompeting.com and click on the book page specifically buy on the book page where you can use PayPal. I look forward to hearing from you. Please email me at drbarrow, that's D-R-B-A-R-R-O, at winwithoutcompeting.com or call me directly 310-441-5305. Please remember that I'm based in Los Angeles. Remember this trigger tip. It's all up to you. Goodbye for now. This is Dr. Arlene, author, Win Without Competing, and Career Coach one.